Glad you're here this morning. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John. And uh, I mentioned earlier when we were going through the music that uh, Josh and I were having a, a, a conversation about music last night. And um, kind of all, I'm, I'm a music nerd. I love talking about that kind of stuff. And um, so we were talking about the power of music and all this. And we were talking about how cool it is when you learn the stories behind certain songs. You, you hear from the producer or you hear from the artist or whatever, and you kind of get the backstory. And it not only is interesting, but it adds a certain kind of depth to the music when you hear it, because you know where that song came from or how that particular thing happened. Uh, we were talking about one song in particular. Um, I can't recommend this song to you, okay? But it's a song by System of a Down called Chop Suey. I don't know if you know that song. All right. I'm not saying go look it up today. That's not what I'm saying. But the producer of that, um, the producer of that song was with them, and they had no bridge, and they couldn't find a bridge. And they said, um, he said, man, just go pull a book off of the shelf. Go pull a book off the shelf and open it up and point to it, and then that's going to be the bridge of the song. And so he went and grabbed the verse, or grabbed a book off of the shelf and opened up and pointed to it. And the book that he happened to grab, the lead singer of System of Down, was the Bible. And he grabbed and he opened up to where Jesus said, my father, why have you forsaken me? So if you've ever heard in that song, that line in the bridge, it's because he pulled a Bible off the shelf and pointed to it. And so it's like, I don't think he's using that correctly. Okay, so that's why I'm saying I'm not recommending the, the song or anything. But it's interesting when you hear the story behind the thing, and all of a sudden the thing becomes, it's like the thing becomes three-dimensional instead of two-dimensional, right? I really feel like that's what we've had the opportunity to do as we've been going through Romans. Because you open up the scripture, and if you just open up the Bible and you go to a spot and start reading, God will speak to you through that, and he can use that. But there's another dimension that comes to it when you read through it in order, when you start to understand the author, when you start to understand the book of Romans, that Paul is writing it and why he's writing it and who he's writing it to, it suddenly stops becoming sort of this fictional story that you're reading. And it becomes a real person with flesh and blood and emotions and passions and dreams and adds this whole depth. And it not, it, it not only adds that depth of the scripture, but it helps us understand it even more accurately. That's what context does. And it's a really beautiful thing. So we've had the opportunity to do that over the last, I think this is week 19. Okay, So over the last 18 weeks as we've been going through Romans. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. And to, this section today finishes a section, and there's a very clear uh, definition of a section here in Romans with chapters 9, 10, and 11, where we've been talking about, Paul has been talking about what the gospel, what the good news means for the nation of Israel. Because you read the whole Old Testament and you have the story of God's people. You have the story of the nation of Israel, his special relationship with them. He chose them. He gave them the law. And then Jesus comes, their Messiah, their king, comes, and the nation as a whole rejects him. All right, in fact, they're the ones ultimately who are responsible for him being crucified. And now Christ offers salvation by faith in him, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, it's not by works of any kind, it's by faith in Jesus, and that is now open to everyone. It's not just Israel, it's not just the Jews, it's not just the nation, it's now to Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is dealing with this reality where he's writing to the churches, their house churches at this point in Rome, and there's a lot of Gentile believers. 
And so they may have this attitude within the church and likely did, which is why he feels the need to write this. Hey, this, this would be the attitude from the Gentiles. All right. Listen, the Jews had their shot. They, he gave them everything they needed. I mean, thousands of years. He gave them the whole law. He told them this was coming. He pointed them to Jesus. They should have seen him coming. And you know what? They blew it. And now it's our turn. All right. That could easily be the attitude. And then to look at the Jews and say, well, listen, even even maybe even Jewish believers or or the nation as a whole and look at them and say, well, listen, we're the chosen people now. We're the preferred people. You missed your shot. And so you're over here. And now God prefers the Gentiles. Is that the case? No, I hope, I hope the way I'm saying that makes it obvious that that's not the case. But that certainly was or could have been the mentality among the, the people. And so they need to understand how to think not only about themselves, Gentiles, and that's probably most of us in the room today. So I might say we when I talk about Gentiles, but that's because that's what I am. I am not, I am not Jewish by, by birth. And so, um, and so uh, we, he needs them to understand what God is doing with Israel, that God is not done with Israel. And we spent the last three weeks talking about that. We'll finish that section today. All right. Very important. We're going to see, he's going to sh- talk about what the actual hope is for Israel. What's going to happen here with them. All right. So let's jump into Romans chapter 11. And we're at verse 13. Well, we actually went through verse 15 last week, but I want to start again at 13 just to grab a little bit of last week as we, as we head into our, our uh, verses for this week. Because it sets an important stage for what he's about to say. For I speak to you Gentiles. So this is really important. What he's about to do, what he's about to talk about, he's talking to Gentiles. He's addressing those of us that would would classify that way. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I might provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be? but life from the dead. Now, just to recap for those of you that weren't with us last week, Paul is saying uh, his primary ministry is to the Gentiles, but that's not because God is done with Israel or, I mean, Paul himself is an Israelite. So it's not that God is done with Israel. It's that he's hoping that opening up the gospel, opening up the good news to the entire world will provoke the Jews to jealousy which we had really great conversation in our groups this week. And if you were in groups, maybe you, you had this conversation about that word jealousy because we hear the word jealousy and we put all kinds of negative connotation on that. But jealousy in and of itself is not a, a sinful thing or a bad thing. God, in fact, says that he's a jealous God. It's, it's, it's wanting what someone else has, right? So that can be a, a bad thing, obviously, when there's sin behind it. But it can also be a really great thing. You see someone who has a great marriage, and you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm jealous of that. I want that. That's a great thing, right? Um, and so God, when he says he's a jealous God, he was looking at his people who were worshiping other gods. And he was saying, that worship that you're giving to other, these false gods, I want that. I'm a jealous God. And so he's saying, Paul is saying, I hope that by preaching to the Gentiles, the Jews will look and see what they're receiving, and they will want that for themselves. That they will say, okay, yes, I see Jesus is the Messiah. I see the power of the Spirit. I see what's happening, and we want in on that. That's what he hopes his ministry does. 
And he says, if they're being cast away, the, the national, the Israel's rejection of Jesus, if that meant that the entire world could become a child of God, that the Gentiles could be welcomed in, how much more incredible is it going to be when Israel finally comes around and it is life from the dead for them? It's going to be a beautiful thing. And he's going to talk about that. Verse 16, this is the beginning of our, of our text for this week. For if the first fruit is holy... The lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, what does he mean by this? He doesn't exactly explain, but we can, we can infer what he means here. When he talks about the first fruits, this would have been something they were very familiar with. It was part of the law, part of the practice that Jews followed. Every year at harvest time, they would take their harvest and they would put together their first batch of dough, their first batch of, of bread dough, and they would take a piece off. They would take a, a, a well, what does he call it, the first fruit, okay? He would take a piece off of the, the lump, and they would offer that to God as an act of worship, a thanksgiving for the harvest, and then thus blessing the entire harvest. It was the first fruits of the harvest. All right, he says, if that's holy, then the whole thing becomes holy. What's he talking about? There's some difference of opinion on what he means here, but I think most likely he's talking about the remnant of Jews, the Jewish believers at the time, that he's saying, you see what God is doing in them, and so he's not going to forsake the entire nation because there is a remnant, there is a first fruit there among the Israelites. And then he gives the analogy, and I was trying to think of an analogy for the, uh, the first fruits that would make sense to us because we don't like... Most of us aren't farmers, I don't think. Maybe there are a few in here. Most of us aren't. So that may not match. But I, here's what I was thinking of. This is something that Jess does, okay? Every time she makes chocolate chip cookies, you take just a little bit of that cookie dough, right? This is that first little piece, that first little piece. And in a way, maybe you're blessing the entire batch of cookies by eating that cookie dough. I know some people have a problem with that. They're like, oh, there's raw eggs in there, right? Anybody ever meet someone who died from eating cookie dough? No, I think it might be holy. I'm just saying, I don't know how all of that works, but all I know is every, every no, you're not. I'm just using you as an example. Yeah, I know. How many of you are cookie dough? You'd grab a look. Okay, how many of you, the cookie dough never makes it in the oven? Anybody? Like, it's all just, all right. I tell you, ball it up and put it in some ice cream. You got a real winner there. That's, anyway. <laughs> All right, that's the, that's the first fruits. All right, then he, says, then he says, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, there's a lot less debate on this because he starts setting up an analogy here of a tree, okay? And he's going to carry that analogy through here. And um, most people reading this would have understood when he said root that he was talking about Abraham. That the root of the tree is Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you. So, okay, it's a, that's an old song. It's an old song. He's the root. He's the beginning of the nation of Israel. And out of him grew this big tree, this beautiful. And I want you to get to a visual image of this big, beautiful, sprawling tree because that's what Paul's going to talk about today. And, and we, it says very clearly in Scripture that, um, first of all, God made promises to Abraham. And that promise was that he would be a blessing to all nations. So not just Israel, not just the Jews, all nations, that promise was made to him, and out of him grew that. And, and uh, Paul wants to be clear that God has not uprooted the tree, okay? God has not uprooted the tree. The root is still holy, therefore the tree is holy. The family of God, the tree of God, 
is holy. And Abraham is at the root. And just because Israel rejected doesn't mean that God has uprooted the whole tree. But we get to share in the blessings now because we, we're going to talk about this whole analogy here, but we get to share in the blessings of believing Abraham. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. All right? So he's not uprooted the tree, but um, he does need to, for us to understand what's happened to Israel and what's happened with us. All right? Um, so verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off. Now what's he talking about here? The branches that are broken off is Israel. The rejected, those who rejected Christ in Israel. They've been broken off of the tree. The tree's not uprooted, but they have been broken off. So if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So he's giving this picture, and this is really great for me to have an image like this. It helps me to sort of understand and process what's happening. And he says, so natural branches have been broken off. Those would be the Jews, who re- those would be the Jewish nation as a whole who rejected Jesus. But that now Gentiles have been grafted in. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an olive tree from um, Italy, because they're in Rome, so this is the tree that they would be picturing, um, but I, got, I brought a picture of it so you can see it. Uh, it's an impressive tree. That's got a root on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a stout tree. That is a strong tree. And then some of them, and I, I just, you know, there were so many different pictures I had to, I had to pick one. But, but the, what I really appreciated about this picture was the, the, and these are like, by the way, these are like 1,200-year-old olive trees um, that that's a picture of in Rome. And, um, and so the, the root is huge. The, tr- the, the base is huge. But then these big sprawling branches. And, and most of the other ones there were pictures of had bigger branches and wider, wider coverings. But they, this is a, a, an analogy that they would have understood really well. Because they would take olive trees and they would farm them. Okay? They would cultivate them. So they would take the trees and they would prune them and manage the branches and design those trees so that they would produce the best fruit that they could possibly produce, just like a farmer would today. But there were also in the area wild olive trees. And wild olive trees wouldn't be as well kept. They wouldn't be pruned and, and, and sort of engineered in the same way that the cultivated ones were. And so what they would often do in their culture in order to take a wild olive tree and to produce better fruit with it, because what the wild olive tree brought to the party was that the wild olive tree was, heart, was hardier. Okay, the wild olive tree was like an outside dog, you know, and the cultivated tree was like an inside dog. All right. They had been protected. They had been sheltered. There was a hardiness in the wild tree. And so they would take a wild tree and try to tame it by taking branches off of the cultivated tree and grafting them into actually attaching them and growing them into the wild tree. So you would get the hardiness of the wild tree, but you would get the fruitfulness of the of the cultivated tree. What Paul is talking about here is the opposite process of that. He's talking about taking branches from the wild tree, which is the Gentiles, and grafting them in among the cultivated tree, which is his people. 
And when that grafting, when that, that branch grows into the tree, it is part of the tree. It is not different anymore. It is part of the tree. And so that it brings hardiness and fruitfulness to both. And so that's the picture that he's trying to paint. And I know, again, we don't live in an agrarian society. I mean, maybe if you live on the west side of the county, you do. Um, but, <laughs> but for the most, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the most part, I was trying to think of an analogy that would, that would really resonate with us. And the, the first one that came to my mind was adoption. We have a lot of families in our church that have adopted children into their family. And we have foster parents in our church and kind of all over the place. And some of you as adults, maybe even you were adopted as children. And it is, it is one of the most beautiful things that a family can do. It is absolutely beautiful to make the choice to, this is what you're doing really, you're grafting someone into your family. You're grafting them in. And when you bring a child into your family or when you're brought into a family, ideally, this is what should happen, that the, that the child who is adopted is equally a child with all the other children in the house, that one is not above the other. Yeah, it may have different bloodlines, but the family is the same. And so one child should not be greater than, you know, the, the natural child shouldn't be greater than the adopted child because of their birth. Nor should the adopted child be greater than the natural child because of the parent's choice. They are the same. They are equal. They are both being blessed by the family equally. And so we think about this with the, the Jews and the Gentiles all in the church together. All the, the Gentiles being grafted in, the Jews being natural branches. One is not greater than the other. We are all part of the family of God. Co-parts of the family of God. We are all producing fruit in his name together. And Paul wants to make sure there's none of this hierarchy, there's none of this bickering, there's none of this we're better, we're chosen, you're not, not none of this coming from either direction within the church. And that no matter where how you became a part of the family of God, we must all respect the root of the family of God and be appreciative for the blessing that we receive as being a part of this family. This is important for us. It's important for those of you that are Gentile believers like me to understand that we have been brought into the blessings of Abraham and Israel. What a great, it's a gracious gift. We do not stand based on our works. We stand based on, on faith. And that's not anything that we've earned. It's been given to us. And it's a great blessing. All right. Verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Now, Paul is starting something right here. He does this all the time. I think we've already talked about it one time in Romans. This is a uh, literary device or a rhetorical device called a diatribe. A diatribe is when you set up a personification of an idea or a group of people. You basically, you create a fake person that represents something else, and then you argue against that person. So this is, he's setting up a fake person, a fake man. This man represents all of the Gentiles. Now, this is really important to understand this is what he's doing. Really important, because if we think that he's talking to them as individuals, we're going to get a bunch of stuff here really wrong as we go on. He is talking to this person, this personification of the Gentiles as a whole, okay? That is, that's going to be vitally important for us. And he says, well, branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Well, like, they missed it. They lost it, like we talked about earlier. They had their shot, so God must be done with them. 
And he says, verse 20, well said. So he's saying, well, that's not technically wrong, but, you know, in, but your application is wrong. That's what he's going to get to. Verse 20, well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. So do not be haughty, but fear. So don't think that you earned your way in, and now you're, you know, you're here, and that's it, and God's done with them. Don't be haughty. Don't be proud. But fear for verse 21, if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now, here's why it's so important to understand he's talking to this personification of the Gentiles and not to individual people. If you think he's talking to individual people, this looks like he's saying that be careful because if you don't continue in the goodness of God, you might lose your salvation. You might be cut off. That is, not, that is absolutely not what he's saying, and that would be in complete contrast to everything he's already told us in Romans. So that doesn't make any sense at all. What he's saying, he's speaking to the, to the Gentiles and saying, yes, God has placed his favor by grace. He has placed his favor on you as a people. But don't think that you're any different than the Jews. Because if you get to a place where, you're rejected, where the Gentiles are rejecting Jesus, where the Gentiles have fallen out of the goodness of God, God will turn away from the Gentiles and turn back to Israel. So don't think that you're like locked in at this point as a people, as a people. And here's the thing, and we don't talk, I mean, I guess I should say I don't talk about this a lot. We are, we are living right now in the church age where, where Jews and Gentiles are all welcome in the, in the family of God. We can come to him by faith in Jesus, so believe in Jesus for salvation. Pay for your sin on the cross and life through his resurrection. Put your trust in him, and you can become a part of the family of God. And God, is, that is open to everyone but I firmly believe, and we'll, we'll, again, I hate to keep kicking the can down road. We're going to talk a little more about this in a minute. But I firmly believe that the Gentile world is being more and more and more exposed to the gospel, but that ultimately the gospel will go to the entire Gentile world. And what Paul, he, terminology he's going to use here in a minute is that the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. Everyone who is going to be saved will. And that when that happens, the Gentile world as a whole, I don't know how that works exactly as a nation, as a whole, or however, however, uh, I haven't seen the future. Uh, but however it works, the Gentile world will finally, as a whole, reject Jesus as the Messiah. And choke up a little bit when I say that because it's sad. <laughs> but that ultimately, and I don't think, I don't think we have to look too far to see that the train's already on those tracks. This should not be a shock to us. The, the, end, of the, the end of the game for us, um, not the end of the game, but the, the, the transition, the world is not on a track right now for everybody in the world to accept Jesus, right? Obviously. World governments and, and all of this are moving firmly steadily and steadily and steadily away from Jesus as the Messiah. And there has been a time where the gospel has spread through the entire world and where many, many people have been saved and Christianity has become like the dominant world religion all over the, all of that. But it is not continuing to progress. It is, it is ebbing and we should not be surprised by that. 
Because ultimately, the Gentile world as a whole will reject Jesus in the same way that the Jews rejected Jesus. And then God will deal with the world. That's what I believe is going to happen. And so our responsibility in the meantime is to lead as many people, both Jew and Gentile, to faith in Christ, to be a part of the church and to have everlasting life and to walk in that life with him. But the end of the story for the Gentile world, I'm afraid, is the same as it was for Israel. I'm not a prophet, not saying that, but I just don't think you need a physics degree to chart the trajectory of our society and see where it's going. Okay. Um, and while that's painful, the beautiful thing is that that process does bring us closer to his return. It brings us closer to his return. There's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of disagreement, I get it, over end times. You have to read prophecy. There's a lot of interpretation. There's a lot of symbolism. I've met people who have gone so in-depth on eschatology. They, they have you know, charts and maps, and they're drawing pictures and timelines, and they've looked into so much more than I ever have. Um, I'm not a prophet. I, I, I can read in Scripture and try and interpret and see, but I haven't seen any of that myself. Um, and so I, I like to say I'm not a seer. I'm a wait-and-seer. Okay. <laughs> like we, we need to study end times. We need to study the scripture. That's why it's there for us. We need to try and understand this the best that we can, but also it will happen how it happens and how it happens will be just. Um, uh, so I don't think it's something that we should be arguing about. It's something for us to discuss. I don't think it's something we should argue about. You may have very different views on that than I do. Um, but there are two things that I really strongly believe will happen. And the first is that the Gentile world, the gospel will go to the entire Gentile world. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in. Everyone who will be saved is. And then um, God will, uh, the, the Gentiles will fully and finally reject Jesus as the overall, as their, their savior. And that when that happens, God will turn his attention to Israel. And Israel will get their chance. And now, again, timelines, this is, this is something that is highly debated, and so you may agree with me on this, you may not, it's fine. I, again, I don't think it's something to argue about, we'll see how it happens, but we need to be anticipating this, however it is going to happen. Um, I think just from a, a, like a rough timeline perspective, the way I see it, um, that the, the Gentiles will fully reject Jesus, however, I don't know exactly how that happens, but when that happens, and that when that happens... The fullness of the Gentiles has come, and everyone who will be saved at that time is, then God is going to take the church away. We call that the rapture. He's going to take us out. And the best I can figure at that point starts something called the tribulation. Tribulation, if you believe that a literal time period in Scripture, would be seven years. And in that period of time, God deals, the tribulation is designed to test Israel, to put them to the test. And that ultimately, by the time all is said and done in the tribulation, Israel as a nation will accept Jesus as their Messiah. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has been, has been raptured, and when Israel has made the decision to accept Jesus as Messiah, then Jesus comes back. And he comes back with the Jews and the Gentiles together. With the apostles, he says, the apostles reigning on, the, on, on 12 thrones over the tribes of Israel. It's, it's Jews and Gentiles together. Christ returns, and Christ reigns on earth. That's what we're waiting for. I mean, you look at the governments of this world, and I don't, I don't, the best government system you can think of is still corrupt, 
It's still, it's still evil. It's still full of sinful people. It doesn't matter whether it's a tyrant or a democracy or what it is. It's still run by sinful people, but the day is coming when Jesus will rule the world and everything will be as it should be. And so we're looking forward to that day. But in order to get to that day, the fullness of the Gentiles needs to come in, which means it is on us to share the gospel with as many people as we can. So that when that time comes, they're with us. All right. In the family of God, in the tree of God, grafted in our natural branches, it doesn't matter. We're together in the family of God. And then trust that God will deal with Israel as they need to be dealt with, that they will accept him, and then we get to reign in the kingdom. All right, so that is what I think is coming. I know a lot of you agree with me, but either way, here's the deal. We shouldn't think that the church age as it is is just going to go on and 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 on. At some point, God is going to draw the line, and we don't know when that is. Jesus was asked when that is, and he said, it's not for you to know. You're not going to know the dates and times. All we're supposed to do right now is to build the family of God, to bring people into the family of God, to become stronger and stronger branches ourselves, to become fruitful with him. All right? And so he's issuing a warning here to the Gentiles. Don't get full of yourself. All right? God's going to deal with you same way as everyone else. All right? And he says in verse 23, And they also, he's talking about Israel, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. So the branches that fell off, if they don't continue in unbelief, they're going to get grafted back in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted in or grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So, of course, God is going to welcome Israel back. They're part of the natural tree. 25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. And when he says the word mystery, Paul is talking about something previously unrevealed that is now being revealed. I don't want you to be blind to this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take take away their sins." He's looking forward to the day, and he's saying, God is not done with Israel. He's not done with Israel. And the day is coming when they will accept, and they will be grafted back in. And because they're natural branches, that's just as easy or easier than grafting in us wild branches into the family of God. And what a day it's going to be. What a day it's going to be when both have said yes. When both have accepted Christ as their Savior. We got work to do in the meantime. He says, um, verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake because they're fighting against the gospel currently. They are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. They may be your enemies right now, but God loves them. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 
For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So he's just drawing the big picture. That God has allowed these branches to be broken off so that the wild branches can be grafted in. But the day is coming when the natural branches will also be grafted back in. And the tree, the family of God, will be complete. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. That we all, whether we're Jew or Gentile, are all recipients of God's mercy. Recipients of God's mercy alike. And that any of us, and listen to me, if you have never been grafted into the tree, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your faith in Him for salvation, today is the day to do that, to become part of the family of God, to trust in Jesus' death for you on the cross and His life, His resurrection, to pay for your sins and give you eternal life. Today is the day to do that and to join the family of God and to join this great tree which is now stretched over thousands of years and all over the world knowing that one day Christ is going to return. When all of these things take place, Christ is going to return and we are going to live under his reign. And that is a great, great day. Paul gives this whole thing through Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 and we've talked about this throughout the series, this is deeply personal for Paul. This is the third dimension to the book. Paul is an Israelite. He's actually Roman by birth, which allows him to have the rights as a Roman citizen, but he is a Jew. And he studied the Torah, and he became a Pharisee to the point of persecuting Christians, but God dealt with him in his heart. And this is deeply personal because this is, this you know, we've, this is Paul's mom. It's his, it's his friend. It's the kid that he grew up with. It's the rabbi that taught him early on in his spiritual development. This is, this, is not, this is not an idea. These are people. And Paul's heart and his desire is for them as people and then ultimately for Israel as a nation. And so he sees this tree growing. And you can almost see he's picturing this thing. And he's picturing these branches being broken off and these wild branches being grafted in, but then the natural branches being grafted back in again and understanding the culmination and where everything is going. And his response to that after this entire, all three of these chapters that we have is to finish with a song of praise. A term we use, you know, the official term is a doxology. And it is, it is something that is welling up from within his soul as he finishes talking about this. And seeing that these people that he, that he loves, that God loves, that have this history with him, that they are going to be restored and redeemed. It is deeply personal. And so in verse 33, a little bit of him, of him speaking, a little bit of quoting from Scripture Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. He's looking at this picture of this tree and what God is doing through history with the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's going, I could never have thought of this. I would never have thought to do it this way, a way that all can be redeemed, the way that the gospel could go to the entire world, the good news to everyone, and then we can join together in the kingdom. How beautiful and incredible and mind-boggling and awesome this is to think that that's what we get to be a part of, and that is what God is doing. This is, I mean, we are, we, are do, we are studying, this is theology, right? We are studying God. But theology, when it's done properly, leads to doxology. That when we have a proper understanding of God and view of him and what he's doing, that it inevitably leads us to praise and worship and honor and his glory and service and love and grace and mercy and peace and hope and joy and all of that at the same time. Because we can see in the way that he's working that God is good and God is loving, that he redeems and he restores us. So thankful for him. And The more deeply we know God, the more deeply we can worship him. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to spend time this week thinking about your place in the tree of God, the the gift that he's given to you, the blessing of sharing with the blessings of Israel, but being part of the church and something new. I want you to think this week about who is around you in your life that is not a part of this yet. That, that at any moment, the fullness of the Gentiles could come in and God could begin things. Who is around you who needs to be brought in that you need to share the good news with? And don't let that be intimidating. We're not, we're not, talking, about, we're not talking about having to have a script of things you have to say or to get things exactly right or whatever, but to look at them and to love them and say, I want you to be a part of the family of God with me. And here's all they, here's all they need to know from now, to put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, to believe in his death and his resurrection on their behalf, and to trust him for salvation. And that's step number one. So don't be intimidated by that. And to share that with them so that they can be a part of the church. They can be a part of this tree, this family of God. So I want you to think about who that is in your life. And if it's you, today. Today is the day. Let's go to him in prayer. And then we're going to sing and we're going to worship him with song just the same way that Paul did. Father, we love you so much. And we're so thankful for all that you're doing, what you're doing in our individual hearts, but also what you're doing in the world as a whole. That can be a difficult thing to say because we look and we see a lot of pain and difficulty. We see a lot of pride and arrogance. We see a lot of greed. We see a lot. We see war. We see all these things that are so disorienting. And we're not surprised by any of that, God, because this is a sinful place. And as people run these things and run governments and run all sorts of other things, God, it will always be imperfect. 
And so we are looking forward to a day, Christ, when you will come and you will reign. And you will be our king. And you will decide who is of the character to lead, who has been faithful, who is trustworthy. And we want you to know we fully trust in you for that, and we look forward to that. And as we wait for that day in this world, we want to be faithful to you. We want to love you well. We want to understand you and learn about who you are. We want to serve you in this world. We want to take your message of the gospel, the good news, and share it with as many people as we can. That simply by faith, by trusting in you for salvation, Christ's death, his resurrection, that they can be saved. And that as a part of the family of God, We are tremendously blessed, God, by you. Gracious gifts on gracious gifts. The gift of your spirit as he leads us, as he strengthens us, as he guides us, as he teaches us, as he comforts us. The gift of being used by you in serving other people. Serving each other, loving each other, becoming like Christ. And so, Father, we want to wait well for whenever that is. Keep our eyes on our hope, Jesus Christ, his coming, his reign. And that as we do that, to be faithful to you together, Jews, Gentiles, all a part of the same church, the same tree, And God, we want you to know that with your nation, Israel, with the promises you've made to them, we fully trust you to fulfill those promises. And look forward to the day when they will realize that as well. And so we ask, God, that you would lead us as we walk with you. And as we go into the rest of Romans, God, we know Paul's going to explain to us how we walk closely, what we do, what our life looks like. And so, Father, we take all of this and we thank you for it today. We ask you to show us in our life who you want us to share the good news with. There's somebody who's accepting it for the first time today and putting their faith in you for salvation today. God, bless them. Fill them with your spirit as they become your child and as they now begin walking with you. Help us all to do that well together as our trust is fully in you, Jesus, as we anticipate your return the day when we will be in your kingdom with you. Lead us every single day as we keep our eyes toward that, that we can serve you well and honor you in every way. It's in your name we pray. Amen.